we'll start off reading that. Let me read it aloud if you would follow along. Romans 8, 12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. <clears throat> For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we, we stop at that section right there. And we talk about life in the Spirit appropriate for us to talk about life in the spirit because sometimes it's in Wednesday in the middle of the week we are a little battle weary uh, going through the week and this reminds us of the battle that we face against the flesh against sin against the world against Satan the flesh is is prone to to all those things it's prone to Satan it's prone to the things of Satan it's prone to the things of this world which is sin and we're reminded that God has given us his spirit. Notice the different ways the spirit is, is referred to here in other, other places in scripture. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the spirit of Christ or uh, God has sent his spirit or sometimes it's referred to as the Holy Spirit. Same identity, same person. But you notice the connection with the spirit with the the the. the the persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as believers. And we should rejoice in that. And we should think and, and reflect on it more often than sometimes we do. For instance, in this passage, it says we groan. We groan because of, of, of the pains of, of the, um, the judgment of this creation. That sin has impacted us so that 
we now get sick, we die, uh, we experience sin in every area of our life, it depresses us, it beats down on us. Um, sin is, is, is just taking its toll on us. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we might battle sin and overcome sin. He states a couple of facts here. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Uh, recently, we were talking in our study in Acts, I think it was Acts 19, where Paul encountered some people who, who um, uh, um, they were, um, they were, what was the term for them? They, um, disciples of John, but they weren't believers yet. And Paul asked them, do you have the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, um, and they hadn't believed yet in Christ. They were following John's teaching, but they missed the whole point. They missed Christ. Here, the Bible makes clear that believers receive the Holy Spirit when they're born again, when they trust Christ as Lord and Savior. There's never a time um, that he is not with us. And so here in Romans 8, we see that in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He reminds us, the Holy Spirit dwells, lives within us, and he gives us life. He empowers us with strength, with power, with life. Um, and, and I think it, it has in mind there, the ability, the enablement to, to, bat, to live the spiritual life that God has called us to, to battle against sin. So think about that. Uh, when we're tempted in sin, and, and we all are tempted, and, you know, we give in to temptations, and, and we, we just feel discouraged about that, and, and we have all kind of um, guilt feelings because of that. But the Holy Spirit is there to tell us um, that he's empowered us to battle sin. So we don't have to be beat up and bullied by sin anymore or by Satan himself. He says that in verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He, he's making a point that we don't have to live in our old um, slavery. We were slaves to sin, and that's where we came from. And now we are freed from sin, and we're not just freed. You know, um, nowadays when, when a person gets out of jail, basically they're just set on their own. It's like you're free, but they're not empowered necessarily. They don't have a job waiting for them. They don't necessarily have job skills waiting for them. They don't have a network of people who will embrace them and help them to be successful in this life. Um, but when Jesus has set us free, he didn't just throw us into this world and say, you know, go do it, do your best. He gave us his Holy Spirit to help us and look at some of the things that the Holy Spirit does. Um, he talked about how he enables us in verse 13. Um, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we live? By putting to death the deeds of the body. And how do we do that? by the Holy Spirit's power working in us. We have to battle against sin. The Holy Spirit gives us the ammunition that we need to battle against sin. 
he uh, reminds us that the Spirit comforts us. One of his names is the Comforter. How does he comfort? He comforts us with, with the truth of God. You remember being in school when you were younger and people would call you names? Anybody had that kind of experience? Maybe you didn't have that. Only I had that experience, right? So I was the only one who had to battle that. You, you guys were, were unpicked on, right? Uh, people always tried to battle me. And they, um, one, of th- one of the common things they do is they call you a name. Now, why do people call you names? Well, one is they're just evil. Another is they think by making you look bad, they feel better, which is ridiculous. But when somebody called you a name and you felt bad, you had to be equipped to deal with that. And it's a couple things that had to happen is you had to have some ammunition to deal with that. Now, some of the ammunition was you just called them back a name and, and you know, you fall fire with fire, so to speak. And um, so, yeah, sometimes you do need to battle back, not necessarily by calling them names, but you need to, to address your attacker. You can't just ignore them all the time. But the other thing that you need is something within that lets you know that what they say does not determine who you are. Um, we, we do it to ourselves sometimes. We give our own kids nicknames, and those nicknames just carry with them for life, you know. Here's Binky, you know. Well, Binky is now 33 years old, and he's a man and got kids of his own. So, you know, why, why, why does he go by that name? That, that name does not describe who he is, and so he needs to let go of that name. Did you notice when Jesus called the disciples, he gave them names? He gave them nicknames sometimes. And it was, to, it was to, to, to draw their attention to who they are. And so we can have um, um, nicknames that are demeaning, but we can also have names that, that are helpful, reminding us who we are. The Holy Spirit reminds us who we are. And here's the name he's given us. It's in verse 17. Children, in verse 16, you are children of God. You are a child of God. You know, we use that, that phrase, somebody called me everything but, the, but a child of God. <laughs> because they're calling you out of your name. And so your Heavenly Father reminds you that you are connected to him in a most essential way. That's part of his comfort to us, reminding us of who we are. All, these, all through this chapter, one thing you can do is go through the chapter and meditate on it who we are and the benefits that we have because of who we are. Well, the big benefit is in this chapter, we, are the ho- we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And he reminds us constantly of who we are. The world will, will, will tear us down, right, by trying to get us to believe something that is not true. The Holy Spirit comforts us. Um, not just by idle um, flattery, but by telling us who we are and who he made us to be. It's like a parent telling a child that's been called by a name, saying, look, son, I gave you your name. I know who you are. This is your name, not the name they called you. I have named you. And the Holy Spirit is saying, and God the Father is saying, I have named you. You are my child. Listen to 
who I say you are, not who others say that you are. So he says we are the child of God. We're children of God. He says in verse 17 that we're heirs, heirs of Christ, heirs with Christ, means that we inherit and we have given to us, promised to us, things that belong to Christ, right? An heir is someone who has uh, a right to um, what his father, what his mother owned and is passed down to him when they pass away, when they leave this earth. We have what belongs to Christ and, and uh, that is ours. Now he, he mentions there's two sides to that. We're heirs with Christ we have his sufferings and his glory. Now, sometimes we say we don't want the suffering part. Just give me, a, you know, give me two scoops of the glory, Lord, but none of the suffering. You know, I'm on a diet. I, you know, that's, that's, I don't want that today. <laughs> but he gives us two clumps of suffering. <laughs> two clumps of suffering. <laughs> that, that seemed like it described my school lunch when I was in school. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> he gives us the suffering but what comes with that we get in the future the glory um, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified he reminds us of both of those things to comfort us we're going to go through some hardships now but there's a great glory that's to come. And he reminds us that in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory. Suffering is a part of our life, but it's nothing in comparison to what we're going to experience um, in heaven. I was talking to my grandson this, this week, and he was saying that the, the death of Dwayne caused him to think and to ponder and to ultimately trust in Christ. And I was so glad to hear that. He said, I wanted to make sure that I could be where Dwayne is. And so I wanted to make sure of that. So um, we go through suffering, but there is also glory to take in. Um, and so we need to know that. God doesn't just hide that from us. He lets us know so that we'll be encouraged, so that we'll be equipped to fight against the, the disappointments, discouragements, um, uh, anxieties, uh, questioning. You know, Satan is called the accuser, right? He's like the kid at school who keeps calling you names. That ain't my name, but he keeps calling you. Yeah, that's your name. He keeps calling me that name. And I'm reminded, no, that's not me. That's not my name. And um, so we're getting beat down with that. And, and, and God wants us to continually be reminded of who we are and what we have in him. I want to just mention two other things um, going through this chapter rather quickly. In verse 26, it talks about the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He, he prays. He intercedes for us. There are things we don't know what to pray for or how to pray and we don't always remember um, we were looking at Acts 21 this week and, and Luke and the others were trying to persuade Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then, then when Paul would not be persuaded, they finally said, let the will of the Lord be done. <laughs> That's how we should be praying, but we don't always pray that way. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf 
for God's will and God's purpose to be fulfilled in us when we don't know how to pray. And then look at this list of things that the benefits that we have because we are the children of God. Um, Verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together. I'm reminded all things means the good and the bad. There are things happening in your life right now that aren't pleasant. The comfort is knowing that God will use even the difficult and unpleasant things to put you where he wants you to be and to bless you and to strengthen you. He uses even the bad. Um, That's a powerfully encouraging thing. God wants us to know that. Um, He also reminds us, he says, we are called according to his purpose um, in verse 28. In verse 29, he says, he foreknew. In other words, he knew of us and who will be before we were, before we existed. That's a comfort to know. Our children need to know they are not accidents. Even if we as parents didn't always plan them, because we can't foresee everything, God certainly did. And he knew and planned them. We need to remind them of that truth. They are not random acts. They are purposed. Their whole life is purposed. No matter how short it is, how brief it may be, God purposed that. And he has a purpose for them. It says he foreknew, he predestined, in other words, he determined ahead of time. Some people don't like that thought. I admit it is deep. But it's deep in a pleasant and comforting way that God knows and he determined all the things about me. He knew how tall I would be. He knew how old, uh, uh, how long I would live. He, he, he determined um, the circumstances that, that come into my life. Um, and he determined my salvation. And it says here, um, um, them, verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. In other words, he didn't stop short in bringing us to salvation, Okay. He determined that this would be, that we would be his children. He called us. In other words, he ordered it. Remember when Jesus was standing out in John chapter 11 outside the tomb of Lazarus and he called Lazarus. He determined that Lazarus would be brought back to life. Then he made it happen. That's what God does. He determined that we'd be his children and he makes it happen. He justifies Another term, speaking of our salvation, that now we are being brought into right relationship with God. And those he justified, he also glorified. It's an interesting phrase here because he uses this tense of glorified in the present as if those who belong to Christ, in other words, they, they're not glorified yet, but it's so certain you can say it like it already happened. I am not yet glorified in my glorified body with him, but I'm good, it's done. (laughs) It's a certainty. It's an absolute certainty. So God can speak of it as if it's such a sure thing, like, yeah. You you, you know, it's like God saying, hey, you got that job. I'm not sure about that guy yet. Yeah, 
<laughs> I got it for you. So he's saying, you have this state with me. You are justified. You are glorified. And so for all who he's called as his children, he has completed the process. And that we can be sure of. And that we can rest. And that we can have confidence in. We can be at peace with God. It helps us to just um, exhale and trust. Okay, God, I see, I see what you're saying. You're saying, you got this. And I say, thank you, Lord. He goes on later in the chapter, and we'll finish that up next week. Other certainties um, and confidences that he gives to, to his children that he wants us to know. Now, some of us have children. Are we instilling them the confidences that will help them for eternity? The sure word and work of God. That's what steals their hearts. That's what um, ties them, gives them confidence that their Heavenly Father, uh, what he has done for them and what he wants to do for them. So let's be comforted in that. Let's remember that as we come to prayer tonight. Good evening, saints. <clears throat> I'm going to continue our meditation in the Gospel of John. John is said to be a spiritual gospel. I don't quite know why they say that because to me they're all a spiritual gospel. But I think it's because the way that he organizes his thoughts are based consistently on this idea of believing. And we got to remember that that's the purpose of the book, right? The purpose of the book determines the individual purpose of the pieces. And all the pieces of the book are building us to understand that we ought to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in believing in Him, we might have life in His name. So we come to chapter 2. And we'll just go through the first half of chapter 2, mainly because we just only have enough time for that. But as we go through the first half of chapter 2, I'm struck by a few things before we even get into it. Because we got to ask ourselves, what does this why does this make us believe? And what does this teach us about believing? And we have to confront the words of Jesus to his mother. Because I don't like when people come to a text and they try to excuse things away. So we have to confront the way that Jesus talked to his mother. We know that Jesus is sinless. So there's nothing wrong with what he said to his mother, but we do have to reflect that the way that he spoke to his mother, it does seem strange and it does imply that there's a conflict between them. And what does that have to do with belief? Because the writer put that in there for a reason. So I'll begin reading chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. 
When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and he stayed there for a few days. Now, what did Jesus do? Let's just talk about this conflict that he has with his mother. And I think the conflict that Jesus has with his mother is the kind of conflict that we will always confront as believers, and it's uncomfortable. And it's this uncomfortable idea of that people who haunt us often say. They'll say something to the effect of, if God is real, let him strike me with light. Right? And they say that, and you know, sometimes I, I agree with them. I'm like, God, why don't you do that, right? Right? Why don't you just make like a little pillar of fire come above the church, and then people wouldn't play no games. Maybe they wouldn't rip metal off the church and sell it. Remember they did that to us? So maybe stuff like that wouldn't happen. Maybe if somebody shot out a Christian with a gun and then an angel appeared and the bullet ricocheted and killed everybody and killed them in the symbol of a cross, then they would all believe and they wouldn't have no reason not to believe, right? And like, God, you could do it, but why don't you do it? Right? And so we're always confronted and tempting saying, God, and we don't want to say it this way, but this is what we really mean. God, are you really doing enough to make people understand that they should believe in you? That's the thought that we often come to the Lord with. God, are you really doing enough? I, I, I get it, God, you know, sitting there, invisible and stuff, I know you're loving me and everything, but I mean, if you did a few miracles, brother, you know, and um, we're confronted with that, and that's, there's a problem with that, right, because we come to God, and we're basically saying, you're not doing enough, and so, you might be like, well, what does that have to do with Jesus' mother, but look what he, she says, she said, they have no one. did he do? Let's get past what he said, but let's look what he does. Do the people know in the feast, know that Jesus did this miracle? Alright? So let's just think about that and first reflect on that first before we look at his words because the actions will tell us why he did and then his words will explain it. 
he turns the water into wine, which is a miracle. That's not the point. He does this miracle in such a way that nobody really sees him do it. You notice that? You just tell him, pour some water, take it out there. They pour water, they take it out. Now, if it was me, I would have did some hocus pocus. I would have did a holy dance, something like that. He didn't do that, right? They were in the back. Nobody else saw what he was doing. A servants, just a few servants, right? Pour some water, take it out. The master of the feast doesn't know he did it. The bridegroom was called to the master of the feast. He didn't know who did it. Nobody knew who did it except for Jesus and the servants and his disciples. And that's, I believe, Mary's problem. Because Mary wanted Jesus to prove that he was the Christ to everybody. look what he says woman what does this have to do with me my hour has not yet come now you have to try to interpret it he first thought off with woman now that's not you know my grandma's talking to me and I say woman the next thing that's going to happen is I'm going to be looking back like this because my head going to be moving right not of my own volition question is, why is he talking to his mother that way? He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? It's not my work, and it's not my will to declare my glory right now. Now you might be like, okay, why not? Let's look at the apostles, because didn't the apostles have the same problem? Jesus, when will you inherit the kingdom? Right? When will you establish the kingdom? Hey, can I be on your right hand and my brother be on your left hand? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? In other words, God, okay, forget all this history that's going to happen. Establish the kingdom right now. Right? Why we got to wait? Why we got to go through all this? And Jesus says no to that. And we struggle with God on that. Because we struggle with the idea that God could make everything right, but he doesn't. We struggle with the idea that we know God is true, but God is not trying to prove it to everybody. And we know he's not. And God, in, the, in Jesus' form, right, the Son of God makes it clear, I'm not going to do that. And we struggle with that. We struggle with this idea that God reveals something. And look at who believes at the end of the story. His disciples believed in him. The crowd did not believe in him. I think we can kind of tie this towards the end of the chapter. I, I don't want to tie it too much because we didn't read that. But there's a part of there where it talks about Jesus didn't believe in the crowd. And you get this idea that Jesus is privately revealing who he is, but he's not about the public understanding who he is. And we wrestle with that. We wrestle with that. Because we know that Jesus is so good. He's so good to us that we want to share him to everybody. And that's part of our Christian work. But we also have to confront the fact 
that without God's private revelation, they will not know. And you know what we are? We're married. Sometimes when we pray, we're married. Hey, turn this water into wine in front of everybody. But what we need to realize is that we're also the disciples. We believe because we saw something. We wish everybody else would see it, but they didn't see it. It kind of reminds me of that cartoon about the WB frog. Y'all remember the Warner Brother frog? He would get up and dance, but every time the man showed somebody else, the frog just laid there like he was dead, right? And he looked really crazy sometimes. That's us Christians, right? Yeah, you know, I told somebody at work, you know, there's this lady in my church, she had cancer, we prayed for her. Doctors couldn't explain what happened. They looking at me like, they looking at each other. They don't want to say it to me, they just looking at each other like, there you go. You didn't see the wine, that was water, and it turned to wine. God, how come you didn't do it in front of them so they could see it? It wasn't for them. It was for you. We have to confront that. And that's the hard part about believing. And this is the lesson that of believing that he's saying in this passage. That just because God shows enough for you to believe doesn't mean that everybody else believes. We have to get past, and this is a personal struggle for me, we have to get past the desire to always want to prove ourselves right. my son that the other day and I was like I was like dude I'm not even learning this lesson yet you have to you can't prove yourself right every time you just can't sometimes you just gotta be silently confident that you did the right thing and that's faith right faith is knowing that one day every knee will bow but that day is not today one day every tongue will confess but that day is not today it's our hope. It is not our present. We have to trust that God will make it come to reality in his time, not ours. Miss Mickey, what is on your heart for prayer today? Unsaved loved ones. Who wants to pray for the unsaved loved ones with Miss Mickey? And then I will close this up. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this night, Lord, and for sharing in your gospel um, with uh, Pastor and, and Elder um, Brian, Lord. We pray now, Lord, for our loved ones who, Lord, you have not yet revealed yourself to them, Lord, but um, I pray, Lord, for them. I pray for um, our children who profess to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, but don't show any um, light or examples of who you are in their lives. So, Lord, it's hard to know if they know you or not. Lord, I pray a special prayer tonight for my um, son, Lord, who um, is not doing well, Lord, but says that he knows you as Lord and Savior, Lord. I, I pray for him that he would come to know you and live his life, Lord, showing of the miracle that you've performed on each and every one of us. I pray for my brother, Lord, who is also uh, terminally in stage and having some problems now, Lord, with his health, Lord, and determining if he wants to continue with dialysis. So, 
Lord, um, I pray for that as well, Lord. He professes as well to know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, but there are no fruit in his life. So I pray for him, Lord, that, um, and then I pray for us as brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts of, who have who have loved ones that are unsaved, Lord, that we would you would use us in a mighty way, that we would be an example uh, of Christ, Lord, living in our lives, that they would see Christ living in our lives, and Lord, that you would just make yourself known to them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Heavenly Father, continuing in prayer, um, as I think of everyone in this room, um, they almost everybody has someone close in their family that is not a believer, and some, it's little ones that we are praying for now, Lord, that we know that only you can resurrect their heart, only you can um, turn them to be true believers. And I, I pray that for the parents in this room that they would remember something I saw this week about um, you're, you cannot make godly children, but you can make a godly parent. <laughs> and so I pray that we would remember to be that example of godly parents and godly men and women. And like um, Mikey said, I echo that about the adult children too and the adult brothers and sisters in my family, my brother, my sisters, their um, their family now. My sister has a child now and um, the way they're raising them so against you, Lord. I just pray for mercy on their on their life and their heart, mercy on their, their wicked ways and the wicked false teaching that they're speaking. I pray that you would... Um, that you would grant mercy on them and turn them and help them repent and say that they were wrong and that all the things that they've been lying, that they have been fighting the truth. I pray for those who pretend that they're saved. They know in their heart that they don't care what goes on that pleases you or not, but they, they say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God because they grew up a certain way. And I pray that you would have mercy on them and, and open their eyes. Um, I think of many in this room that raised their children to told them the truth and now they've gone on and say they say they're saved but there's no fruit and i pray for conviction and lord and true saving repentance to come on them i pray for those in this room who have parents lord who do not know you i think of um you know maybe chris chris's mom he doesn't know and i think of aaron's family and I think of others um, nick's not sure and, and others who you know lawrence's mom and so we pray lord for these parents who their children are a testimony to their parents. And we pray for your mercy, and we pray for the children to keep being faithful and keep showing a life that's according to your will, sharing the gospel with their parents. And then we pray um, for the grandparents, too, of the children. We see grandchildren coming a lot, Dell and Trinaces, Aunt McGee's, and others. We pray for mercy on them, that you could still be a testimony to them. I think of my nieces and my parents have helped with. Have mercy on their little lives, Lord. And then we also pray for those not here tonight. We know Granny Kenner, she always prays for her son, Donald. We pray for him, Lord. We pray for Grandma um, Jackie, her son, Jerome. We pray for her children, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we continue in prayer. We just echo the many prayers for our unsaved loved ones. I lift up Mickey especially as you know, Lord, how her heart has been burdened for her son, Lord, and how she fervently prays for his salvation. You know, Lord, how Heidi has been burdened for her sisters and brother, Lord, and the fervent prayer from her family towards them. I lift up a lot of people in this church, Lord. We all are burdened with those we love, Lord. Friends, family members, Lord, who are not following you. Some of them have grown up 
in the church. Some of them have been witnessed to numerous times. Lord, some of them, as Heidi has mentioned, claim to know you, but do not. I remember I was in that camp at one point where I claimed to be your child, but did not live that life. So we know the severity of those people who are living a lie. We know Satan has put that lie in their minds. We ask that you continue to use us to be a light to those people, to be a testimony to those people. But most importantly, Lord, we know that you are the only one that can impact their hearts, that can change their hearts and bring the blinders off their eyes and show them the truth of yourself. We ask you continue to use us. We ask that you continue to use us in our mission to reach families and men in our city. We ask you continue to use us in our jobs. We look at those of us at the rescue mission, but also those of us who work everyday jobs, Lord, as Brian has said, you know, he speaks to those in his job. We ask that you continue to use us and continue to just help us to be a light and to point lives to you as we do not want to see anybody have to reach that kind of condemnation in eternity. In your name we pray. Amen.